Hello and welcome to the NLA podcast with me, Richard Blanco. Today I'm speaking to Mira Chinderoy, who is Policy and Public Affairs Manager at the National Landlords Association. And the hot topic, of course, at the moment, Mira, is Section 21. Um, and as I'm, I'm sure many landlords will have heard now, the government announced, was it in April, that they plan to abolish Section 21? I mean, can you give us a bit of background how and why this came about? Because it was a bit of a rabbit pulled out of a hat, wasn't it? Yeah, I think... Um... The important thing to to know is that this came from the the government's um, consultation on longer tenancies. So that happened last summer. Um, it closed at the end of August, and the government proposal had been um, for a fixed three year tenancy, um, at, which would then become periodic. So it was really a suggestion that didn't please either side of landlords or tenants um, and the results from that consultation were published in April. The consultation response showed that there wasn't a consensus on what the approach should be to provide more security to tenants in terms of their feeling secure in their homes and having um, the the uh, feeling that they have the opportunity to have a longer tenancy. Uh, so the government decided um, to introduce the abolition of Section 21 as a response. To the horror of the landlord community, I think, by and large. I mean, I, I received quite a lot of texts on the day, I remember, and people were just despairing on top of the kind of triple whammy of of tax changes, you know, Section 24 and um, the additional 3% surcharge and, and so on. Um I guess you just have to do the maths, don't you? 11 million renters and 2.3 million landlords, or that's a rough estimate, isn't it? So there are more votes in pandering. Pandering is probably not a fair word, but um, playing to the renter lobby, I suppose, and the the landlord lobby. Do you think that's what's going on here? Yes, I think the government is definitely in a precarious position at the moment. They've got their eye on the next general election, um, which is due in 2022, but could be called earlier. Um, And they know that one of the big issues for the Conservative Party is appealing to younger voters. Um, So looking forward, uh, it's unsurprising in some ways that they might seek to introduce policy changes that have a bigger impact on younger voters and appealing to that tenant vote is quite valuable to them in the medium to long term. Um, And I think part of the challenge is that obviously this policy, as you said, has been received very badly by landlords, unsurprisingly. Um, And our research has shown that landlords are really moving away from the Conservative Party. So we did a survey of our members and um, uh, around 69% said that they would, they'd voted Conservative in the past, uh, but only a quarter of that percentage would vote Conservative again if the general election was held today. So it shows that the uh, impact of this change can really be felt at the polling booth but it's whether the Conservative Party thinks that that loss of potential loss of landlord vote and where is the landlord vote actually going to go. Um, and one of the problems, of course, is that landlords are spread quite evenly across the country, really, aren't we? So it's not like we're, we could necessarily swing the vote in a particular constituency. I mean, my immediate thought was when have I had to use the Section 21 in the 18 years that I've been a landlord and... Um, and probably only in two or three cases where it was just much 
uh, it was a difficult situation with the tenant and it was easier to go down the, the, the no-fault route. And, you know, my worry is if I'd gone through court, it would have been very adversarial. Um, and I think the other anxiety really going forward is that I'm really going to have to choose my tenants very carefully. And I think a lot of other landlords are going to be thinking that. And certainly those few landlords, I think it's down to something like 20% of landlords that accept tenants on benefits are going to think long and hard about that, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's the message we're really getting from our members, that this is going to have an impact on not only whether they remain in the sector or they remain investing as they plan to do, but um, whether they change the types of tenants that they're willing to let to. Obviously, with the loss of Section 21, um, the risk of taking on the types of tenants who might have a higher risk of having rent arrears, such as those in receipt of benefits, is a lot higher because it becomes a lot harder to regain possession. You'll have to go down the Section 8 route, which takes a lot of time, takes a lot of money and um, is uh, not as certain as seeking uh, possession through Section 21. So I think we're going to see a lot of landlords seek to change the way in which they choose their tenants and be a lot more selective about them. Well, the government have hinted in the initial document that came out about this that they might add some grounds to Section 8 for possession. So one might be if the landlord needs to sell the property and another they've suggested could be if the landlord wants to move in. I know there have been some discussions, more through chatter, I think, I'm not sure if the government have said this, that um, we might be able to repossess the property if we were refurbishing it. Um, and certainly that's in in the Scottish model, isn't it, um, where they also have lifelong tenancies. Uh, do you think there's much scope there for, for the government to kind of broaden the options? Yeah, absolutely. And we've been talking to government officials about this and um, really making the case that the reform of Section 8 needs to be wholesale. Um, the current grounds... Uh, Without Section 21, there are, there are a number of changes which we'd like to see, particularly to ensure that landlords can regain possession in cases where they need to make changes to their property or um, there are cases of antisocial behaviour or other issues which landlords have tended to use Section 21 for. The government has committed to providing a ground um, for when landlords need to sell. There is a question mark around how you can prove that. Um, so we'd be quite keen to explore that further with the government so that there is a it's, a it's a genuine ground which landlords can use because we both know the importance of regaining um, vacant possession in order to maintain the value of your property. Hmm. I mean, I'm really shocked by how the government doesn't seem to understand its own narrative, really. I mean, it's brought in three, or it's pulled three major levers to try and reduce the amount of properties or the expansion in the buy-to-let sector. And on top of that, it's now brought in uh, this measure, or is considering bringing in this measure, um, which could drive potentially drive some landlords out, couldn't it? I mean, we, we're supposed to be getting a consultation, I think, in around June, July, and there's still no sign of that. And also the fact that we're going to get a new Prime Minister now, likely to be Boris Johnson, um, and that probably means that James Brokenshire will get reshuffled away from um, the housing department. So do you think there's a possibility this may never happen? There's definitely a possibility. I don't think we can rely on it, though. Um, 
obviously this was a policy which was announced by number 10 um, together with MHCRG, the, the Ministry for Housing. Um, so uh, it, it, it has been led by um, the current prime minister in that way. So any change in leader is 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 naturally going to have the op- opportunity to see a change in policy. However, whether that's going to be completely scrapping the idea or rather amending it in some way, we have yet to see. Um, it's absolutely going to depend on who is the new prime minister and who is, as you mentioned, the new secretary of state, um, because I mean, they will they will direct the, the policy. Yes, I mean, let's imagine a scenario where it's Boris Johnson's prime minister, which is, you know, most commentators think it will be him. It's difficult to imagine him being in favour of abolishing Section 21, just based on what we saw when he was mayor of London, because, you know, he had quite a light touch, I think, really around landlords and policies towards landlords then. And then if, say, Dominic Raab were um, uh, replaced James Brokenshire, who is, you know, towards the right of the party, you, you know, one might expect that they wouldn't pursue those sorts of policies. But it's so hard to know, isn't it, these days, it's, really? It's really hard <laughs> to know. I think um, if Boris Johnson does become the prime minister, then it's uh, a higher likelihood that he might turn back the policy um, than perhaps some of the other candidates. Um, but with we, with Dominic Raab, for example, while he was uh, minister in the in MHCLG, he introduced the Tenant Fees what is now the Tenant Fees Act. So I think we have to be realistic that sometimes the political uh, purpose of something isn't necessarily to isn't necessarily related to what the individuals might um, might want to take forward. You could argue, of course, that the train is just heading in that direction anyway. I mean, I said to somebody the other day that, you know, who needs a Corbyn government when actually you've got a Tory government to bring in some of the measures that Jeremy Corbyn would love to see himself, really. Yeah. And that's the irony of this situation, isn't it? That some people would argue that the abolition of Section 21, given what's happened in Scotland, given the sort of pressure from the renter lobby, it's it's on its way out anyway. I think we always expected that there would be movement towards um, the uh, changes, at least, with Section 21. Uh, we didn't necessarily expect that an abolition would be announced, particularly at this point, and we're, we're making the case to government that there needs to be a process. So we saw in Scotland that there was an introduction of housing tribunals for um, the private uh, rented sector, before um, the changes came through. So they knew the housing tribunal worked and then the new tenancy was introduced once they had the housing tribunal in place. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're making a similar argument to the UK government that they need to show that the changes that they've proposed around court reform actually work to provide um, landlords with that confidence. Mm -hmm. Um, At the moment, I think landlords are quite sceptical about the impact of any proposed changes and we we don't know that the funding is there for it either. So um, if you're going to introduce a, a change with Section 21, if you're going to abolish it, um, there really needs to be that that sort of um, sorry. <laughs> there needs to be there needs if you're going to introduce a change with Section 21, then you've really got to do the work around that to provide the um, mitigation for landlords. Mm. 
Well, the other big issue that's around at the moment is the Tenant Fees Act, of course, uh, which came into force on the 1st of June. Um, I mean, one of the things that surprised me was I thought it wouldn't affect me because I don't charge fees. But then I suddenly realised, of course, that the deposit is capped at five weeks and I take six-week deposits. Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to renew existing contracts, because my tenants tend to stay with me for many years, I actually need to refund one week's rent. So there have been some interesting aspects of the legislation that have perhaps caught people on the hop, haven't there? Yeah, and I think deposits is one of those challenging areas that we've had a lot of questions from members on, and particularly around... Um, some of the misinformation that's out there. So if you've taken a deposit prior to the 1st of June 2019, um, if that con- if that tenancy continues um, uh, as a fixed term and subsequently becomes a periodic tenancy, then you don't need to return the deposit or a, a, a proportion of the deposit above five weeks to the tenant until the tenancy ends or until you renew it to a new fixed term, as, as you mentioned. Um, so there's been some um, different uh, advice that has been out there, and I think the government guidance came out quite late, and that's caused a lot of confusion for landlords. So it's definitely been one of the uh, biggest topics that we've been getting calls from, from our advice line for. Now, it's statutory guidance, isn't it, that the government's issued, and it's actually quite detailed with quite a lot of questions and answers in, which, which I found very useful. I guess the other aspects that are going to affect people are the holding deposit and how that's capped at one week and you can only hold it for a certain period and so on. Uh, And then also there are only very specific circumstances where you can charge uh, what are called default fees where the tenant loses their key or wants to um, swap with somebody else halfway through the tenancy and so on. Yeah, I think the the key message for landlords is almost all fees have been banned. So um, the the default fees have been limited to where there's been a loss of key or a security device and where there's been late payment of rent. You can also charge a small fee if the tenant has asked to change the tenancy in some way. Um, But it needs to be evidenced and you can't um, penalise the tenant. So if, for example, you need to replace a key, it needs to be the cost of replacing the key you can't charge a 50 pound fine to the tenant for doing so um i think it talks about reasonable costs doesn't yes. it recover reasonable costs and you'd be expected to have receipts etc exactly. and you can't say that took two hours of my time and i charge 60 pounds per hour that kind of thing is not allowed exactly mm. yeah yes yeah um and um, I think the other interesting thing that I've heard landlords talk about is, you know, their contracts or the tenancy agreement used to say, we will charge you for a professional clean when you leave. Mm-hmm. Of course, those sorts of clauses are now null and void, aren't they? And... Yeah, I think um, it's important to remember that you can still charge for damages. So if you have a uh, clause in the contract which says that um, you the tenant, the property should returns in the same condition that it was provided in and you have been clear that you have provided the property in a condition where it had a professional clean prior um, you would be able to claim that through your deposit if you can evidence that the property hasn't been returned in that um, situation Uh, so you can claim the damages but you have to seek it either through the deposit 
or through a contractual damages claim through the courts, potentially, if the, if the tenant refuses to pay. Yes, and I guess make sure you've got a good inventory with photos. You can always use the NLA inventory service to do that for you if you don't want to do it yourself. Um, how are landlords responding to the Tenant Fees Act? I mean, I tend to think it really just affected agents and didn't affect landlords so much. That I've heard some concerns about agents putting up fees and certainly I've seen that on my own patch in East London mm-hmm. um, some people are saying oh landlords will just put rents up to cover the extra fees from agents but you know I always say that you know rents are subject to market forces you can't just suddenly decide to put the rent up having said that I find myself thinking well when I renew contracts this year maybe I will put the rent up when I wouldn't normally do so um, what are we hearing at the NLA about how landlords are responding? It's a bit of a mix. I think um, some landlords are only just hearing from their agents that their fees are going to be increased. And agents have, some of the agents have been quite late in communicating that to their landlords. So it means that actually landlords are responding uh, perhaps later on than you might have expected. And um, a certain proportion of landlords are going to seek to be self-managing rather than using an agent if the fees have gone up significantly um we've also had a lot of calls from landlords but particularly um landlords with student tenancies because with fees and student tenancies being signed before the date but happening after the date um there's been some confusion around that so although the uh ban does have a bigger impact on agents it's it's not the case that landlords aren't impacted at all by by the ban and I think um, there are certain things such as inventories and references which landlords might have charged for in the past which they now cannot do so. Mm. Um, I think in terms of the changes we're going to be keeping a very close eye on how landlords are responding and um, our latest survey includes some questions around uh, landlords um, Uh, intentions around agents so if you are an NLA member please do fill in our member survey so that we can keep track of what the changes are over the coming months. Okay and there's all sorts of helpful advice on the NLA website of course um, about the tenants fees ban and also about section 21 and the section 21 campaign that um, I know that you've been leading um, Mira. Um, Well, thanks very much indeed for talking to me today. And um, uh, you've been listening to the NLA podcast. Uh, There's a whole host of podcasts that you can listen to as well if you want to go to our back catalogue. Thanks for listening.